Welcome to the Dubcast brought to you by the Dry Goods store at, at drygoods.elevenwarriors.com. I am John Aginter, and I am joined by our, our guest host. We've, we've got him in for two weeks in a row, so we're incredibly lucky to have him here, which is Andy Vance. How you doing, man? I'm well. My brother from another mother. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Uh, well, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're happy to have you here for so many different reasons because we, we love your takes on all kinds of things related to college sports. And here's the thing, Andy, we're, we're officially now in the off season and that is, that is difficult. That is difficult for us here at the Dubcast because that means we got to get a little creative and I'm excited about that. It gives us an opportunity not just to, you know, kind of move away from the traditional things that we normally talk about, but. But and this is this is gonna I think maybe make about a third of our audience really happy and about two thirds of them <laughs> kind of pissed off. Uh, but Game of Thrones is gonna be coming here pretty soon, so we actually have some info about that a little bit later on that we're gonna hit. Uh, but first, I, I want to ask the eternal question, Andy: How's your bracket? How's your bracket? How's it? How's it uh, go? My my bracket might have made it past the first four. Okay. Uh, and I think at this point there are um, ESPN sent me the, uh, <laughs> the update and there were more than 3 million people ahead of me, uh, nice. I think in standing. So I'm right about where if it, if it's any consolation to probably half the listeners, I too took Duke all the way to the end Same. and that you Same. know dream has, has come to an end. So. I'm not. I'm not sad about it. You know what? I will sacrifice. I will sacrifice my already really crappy bracket uh, to see upsets, particularly to see upsets in the Elite Eight. I'm really pumped about this Final Four. I mean, look, Ohio State's not part of it, but if Ohio State's not going to be part of it, I want there to be an interesting cross section of teams, right? I don't want to have a boring Final Four. All chalk Final Four, not interesting to me. I don't enjoy that. I'm going to look. I will cop to not being the closest follower of college basketball that is not Ohio State during the season. There's over 350 Division I teams. I don't have time for all of them. I'm sorry, guys. It's it's you know it's just a personal thing. But uh, I really like the fact that you've got the likes of like a Texas Tech, right? You got an Auburn there. You got Michigan State, which is there kind of mixing it up. I had hoped that Purdue would been would have been able to make it, but Virginia, I think, you know, that's that's a legit comeback story you know a team that lost to a 16 seed last season has now made the final four with basically the same team i think that's cool i think these are all really cool storylines and i don't know how it's going to shake out i would love ohio i would love again i'm going back to Ohio State. i'd love the big 10 to have a national title for the first time since like what 2000 i believe yeah um that would be really cool that would be fun to see but overall it's, it's a cool final four and i think it's you know, going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm excited. Who, who do you have? Who who would you say out of those four teams is your your pick for that? Uh, I'm I'm going to ride with tournament Tom Izzo. Uh, I, okay. And I I alluded to this, I think last week that Izzo is my non Ohio State coaching man crush. Uh, at least football division. It's kind of weird. I have to say this. Like I have no ties or allegiance to Michigan State whatsoever, and yet if you made me, you know, back to the wall pick your favorite Big Ten football and basketball coach, 
outside of Ohio State, it'd be the two guys in East Lansing. It's just it's kind of wild that they're both at the same school. But and you know, really, you look at those two guys, Mark D'Antonio and Tom Izzo. They 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 could be you know yeah they're carbon copies yeah yeah they cut from the same cloth. So I guess maybe that says more about me than it does about them. <laughs> those are the those are the coaches that I that I gravitate toward. I did go back and look at my bracket just to see how bad it really was. So I I am happy to say I, I did have uh, Michigan State in my Final Four. Um, and, and I did, uh, oh no, I didn't. That's not true. (laughs) Cause I said, I already said I took, I already said I took Duke. My bad. I had Duke versus Sparty as my, uh, uh, as the game there. Uh, so whoops. Um, yeah. And then Duke, North Carolina was my, my championship game. So yeah, my bracket is bad. Very bad. Very bad. Well, what, what percentile are you sitting at? Uh, 82nd percentile. Three point good. Rank 3.1 million, 3.1 million. That's, that's not tears. bad. I want to tell you some, my friend. I am I am at the forty eighth percentile. <laughs> that is, uh, I got nine million ahead of me. So okay, I well there you go. I guess I'm six million ahead of you. So I got a gold star to take home to mommy. I would agree I with think, that. Um, I I uh, I will I will admit to having uh, Cincinnati, for example, in my elite eight. That's tough. Uh, did not work out for me super well. Um, <laughs> And you were talking about, or, or asked me the question. And I got off track. Like who, what, what I thought of this Final Four, you know. Yeah. So our esteemed colleague uh, Ramsey called this the noon kickoff Final Four with Virginia, Auburn, <laughs> Texas Tech, and, <laughs> and Sparty. And I, I, I thought that was a little hard. I actually think, as a fan of college basketball, that that I'm okay with this Final Four for for the reasons you said. Now. I don't have the hate in my heart for Coach K and Duke that that a lot of people seem to. Sure. Um, now. You know, North Carolina is a different story because that academic scandal thing, you know, I think that there probably should have been some repercussions for that oh, that yes. you know, didn't materialize. But I, I, Coach K, you know, I, I don't dislike that guy. He's coached Team USA enough times, and I'm still a sucker for guys that win the Olympics. And, uh, and he coached under Bobby Knight at West Point, and I'm okay with that. And so, so I, you know, I don't have the hate in my heart for Duke. But that said, really happy for Michigan State, one of my – one of my great friends uh, at, at work is is a Texas Tech alum, so you know, guns up, and and I'm happy for that guy because this is like the first time their team has been, you know, on this stage in what 300 years, and yeah, it's been uh, a long time. Yeah, so Virginia, I don't know what to think about Virginia. I mean, I kind of like that their brand of basketball annoys so many people, uh, you know, because it's pretty effective and the opposite of where the game is going. I don't know what to think about Auburn, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to think about Auburn. Well, maybe the less said about that, the better. They've been hot. And and look, I, I would not pick them necessarily to win the whole thing, but I look the, the Virginia game. I mean, Virginia, I know a lot of people like hate them because of the style of play. And it's like, okay, we don't like the defense and stuff, but that I got to tell you something, man, that Virginia, Purdue game was unbelievably entertaining and it was just it was just haymakers from everybody it was incredibly fun to watch uh I think Auburn you know taking down Kentucky and some of the other things they do I think that's a really fun game I'm really excited about that I'm, I'm less stoked about Texas Tech Michigan State I think that'll be much more methodical although Duke Michigan State was also an incredible game uh I, I just think what's going to happen is you're going to see Michigan State Virginia and I think Virginia is going to end up uh, kind of redeeming themselves 
from last season, which to me would be really hilarious to see a team that that was a number one seed that lost uh, to a 16 seed for the first time ever and then come back the next year and, and win the whole thing. I think that would be pretty cool. But yeah, any, any of these teams winning would be really exciting and fun. So that's what I want. I, and look, that's what March Madness to me should be all about. I don't like straight chalk. Again, I'm like you, man. I don't have anything against Duke per se. I just don't like the narrative that they were, you know, could they beat the Cavs? Could they come out? Can oh they run my the gosh, table? Yeah. And what it's like nonsense. And they weren't a complete team. You saw that in the tournament. They struggled from the very beginning. And it was a big part of it because they relied way too much on obviously on Zion and Bear. And they just they didn't get uh, what they needed from the rest of the team. And again, Zion had an incredible tournament. He's a, he's a singular player, and he's going to do great in the NBA. But, you know, I like the fact that they kind of show that you can't just build a championship around one player, which is what I think Duke kind of tried to do. So, yeah, and, it, and there again, you know, what's tougher? Is it to, and, and people love to play this game, and it and it becomes, uh, you know, fun Twitter fodder, but, but there isn't a right answer to this. Is it harder to be coach K and go out and recruit three or four lottery picks a year and then try to make them into a cohesive team. Right. Uh, and you could say that, you know, Calipari at, at Kentucky, you know, the same thing, you know, how many one and dones can you get on the roster at a time? And can you then whip them into some sort of cohesive tactical unit? Or is it tougher to be a guy like Izzo or, um, uh, or well, or any of these other schools, but to be a, a Izzo, I, I use because he's consistently in the conversation um, as opposed to, Hey, you know, we're in the tournament for the first time in a million years right. kind of story. Is it harder right. to be that guy and to recruit, you know, group of, of guys to a school for three or four years in theory and try to build something even with, you know, without a lottery pick on the team. Like that's, I find that really interesting. And, and Oh, by the way, these are all great coaches yeah. that we're, that we're dealing with. I mean, these are, this is a, this is a batch of really good coaches who, um, you know, have, have good things on their resume for sure. But I, I just find that really fascinating and Duke, you're right. Uh, I, I like coach K, um, but they were not, yeah, not a complete team. And when you looked at the game that they lost, I mean, Zion did his thing. Uh, and then, you know, past that, you were you were clearly missing some pieces and parts, right? And one of the interesting things that I saw today, I, I read some analysis. I forget where exactly. I mean, it was there was all kinds of different things I was kind of checking out. But like one of the really crazy stats about Duke was how poor of a three point shooting team they were. Zion Zion was the best three point shooter on the team, and he was shooting like thirty three percent. So like that's not a that's not really a formula for you know for winning basketball especially in a, a tournament style like you've got to be able to shoot some threes right you got to be able to hit a clutch three at the end of the game when you're getting late into a tournament like this and it's it's kind of staggering that they didn't have a guy like usually when you see a team that's that dominant and that good part of the equation is they've got this dude who can just bomb threes they got one guy who can just bomb threes and just hit you with a dagger when maybe zion doesn't hit you know, is, is usual like runners or flows or anything like that. So they didn't have that. And it, I think it bit them. And, and it's not super surprising that Tom Izzo was the guy, you know, to kind of crack that formula. And like mm -hmm. I said, you know, it's, it's going to be, in my opinion, a really cool, engaging final four. This is the kind of final four that I like to see, not the, you know, one against one against one against two or something like that. Yeah. Uh, another item of note, another college basketball item of note, uh, the, Kentucky Wildcats have locked up John Calipari for quite a bit of time uh, going forward. And this is good for Ohio State because Ohio State, look, 
if you like what Ohio State's been able to accomplish under Chris Holtman, as as I have, and I'm sure you have, okay? I, indeed. It, I will say that one of the things you do have to sweat a little is a major marquee program having a vacancy because the more success that Chris Holtman has, unless you can really convince him that this is a place where he can win championships and stuff, you always got to kind of think in the back of your mind that there's a chance you could bounce. And again, I don't expect that like soon necessarily, but you have, I mean, nobody knows what the next season could bring. And if they, you know, if you see a team or a program like Kentucky, or, you know, even say Duke in the next two or three years or something like that. I mean, who knows how long Coach K is going to be coaching. They Chris Holtman would be on the short list, I think, for a lot of these big programs. Because I got to tell you something. What he's done at Ohio State, what he's been able to do with a really short roster and not a ton of talent and get them into the second round of the NCAA tournament two years in a row is pretty freaking incredible. And I, I think, you know, it would be smart for Ohio State fans to appreciate that and and really support Chris Holman because I know that a lot of big name programs and look I the other thing I want to add before you react to this Andy is that a lot of times Ohio State fans go like what's bigger than Ohio State right it's like I, you've got to understand on a national perspective Ohio State is a b-tier program and there are a lot of a-tier programs that will throw their weight around uh, when it comes to um, you know visibility and marketing and things like that, Ohio State can match them in terms of money. But man, you you got to understand, there's a lot of these coaches who do not view Ohio State the same way they view Kentucky or Duke or UNC or anything like that. Yeah, and that's the thing you 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 hit the nail on the head because because when you look at football coaching, you would say, okay, what are the programs where a coach at Ohio State might look? somewhere else and that's a pretty finite number like okay alabama's open you might think about an alabama but but there's not or if you had ties to you know if you were a southern california guy and usc came open or something okay there are a few peer we won't call them you know they're not they're not bigger or better than ohio state jobs but they're peer institutions in the annals of college football history uh Basketball is a different beast when you look and say, okay, the winningest coach in school history didn't win a national title right? Uh, in, in Thad Mata, and you've got to go back 50-plus years. The last time the team did win a national title, that gives you, that gives you pause. Now, I think, it's, I think it's a tougher thing to win a national title in basketball than it is in, in football. Maybe other reasonable people may disagree, but um, to me, that's a tougher task given the way, you know, that you've got to win a tournament um, to get there. But all that said, I agree with you. Holtman has done every, we talked about this a little bit last week too. He's done everything right in my book. I can't think of a thing where I'd say, man, I'd like to see that guy have done this instead. Or he just gets everything from the little social media things that he does is the, the, the little personal touches. He had a tweet earlier this week where it was a thank you note um, you know, to the fan base and so on for a great season. Just every little thing he does is the right thing. He he kind of eats, sleeps, breathes how to make the program better. So for me, I think the next recruiting class or two are really important in terms of his longevity at Ohio State. If he can recruit the kind of guys, and, and I think he can, but does Ohio State draw the kind of guys that that allow him to feel like he's being in a position to succeed at the highest level right then then your the resources are clearly there um for ohio state to be able to hold on to him for the long term but 
if even with all of the resources that Ohio State can bring to the table, he doesn't feel like he can get the guys he wants on the roster because they're going to Duke or Kentucky or wherever else, then, yeah, I think when you see a Coach K retire or a Roy Williams retire or something along those lines, you know, then then you'd say, okay, there's an opportunity where he might look at a greener pasture. But right. Right, right now, I feel like we're in a good place. You're exactly right. Calipari getting a lifetime contract. Think what you will about <laughs> lifetime contracts. Um, you know, I think that's a good thing. And by the way, that's a sm- I think it's a smart move for Kentucky, too. He's a good fit there. They love him there. Um, and and I, I used to have kind of conflicted opinions about Calipari, given his past and some of the the things that you that you assume um, you know might might happen on his watch that there was going to be some dirty laundry aired at some point, but I saw him speak a couple of years ago at a, a, a conference I attended on my day job, and listening to him talk about his players and how much he cares for the players that he recruits and coaches, um, it it really opened me up to having warm feelings about him as a as a person and as a coach. Um, that I didn't have just from watching him coach basketball. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times people see the the more cynical side of it where you get all these one and dones and it's kind of a mercenary attitude towards yep. uh, coaching. But I, you're right. I've actually seen him speak as well. And and the guy, I think it's genuine. I mean, this is a yeah, dude who he made really, a believer out of me. Yeah, totally genuinely, you know, cares for his, his players. And, you know, you can you can object to the way he constructs his teams all you want. And I think that's a fair criticism. But yep. Um, as a as a person, I think he definitely you know really is invested in his players and his team, and and you can't really ask for more than that, especially given that he's a really great coach. So that kind of locks down one position, at least as far as he continues to win, uh, you because know, you know that that's really the ultimate deciding thing here is is whether or not you can be successful. But you know, as far as Chris Holtman goes, you know he's he's the real deal, and we're lucky to have him. The last element of that to me is as far as keeping him here because the money, like he's not going to make a lateral move right? You're, you're paying this dude millions and millions and millions of dollars. He's getting mm-hmm. paid. He's fine. He's not going to go to like, you know, he's not going to go to Purdue or something like that. You don't have to worry about that. Uh, but it's, it's also fan support. It's also getting out there and making sure that the shot is packed. And I know it's not the great basketball environment that we would like it to be, but it, it's really making sure that the team is supported and that he knows that he's, he's appreciated and his, his talent as a coach is as uh, recognizes, I think it should be. And do you um, know what makes? Do you know what makes Value City Arena a better basketball venue? When it's packed. No. <laughs> when, when when it's packed. That's the well, one yes. time. Yeah, that's, exactly. I mean, I yeah. mean, that's the one time that it is not an abysmal hall of death. Is <laughs> when it is full to the gills and people are 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 having a great time. I mean, it's easy to make St. John. A fantastic venue. You know, we, we I go to um, you know every wrestling meet and on home uh, on home court, so to speak. And you know, we have three, four thousand people for a December dual meet in St. John Arena, and the place is a madhouse. You know, you can't do that in the Schottenstein Center. Three thousand people there, and and you know, you're at a funeral. But you you fill the place to the rafters, and it's and it's and it can be a fun, engaging environment. But that goes, I mean, it's exactly what you're saying. You've got to have that fan support. And, and I think, you know, he's done what he needs to do to to earn our <laughs> support as a fan base. Uh, those of us particularly who live in central Ohio, um, you know, so now it's now it's kind of up to the fans to 
repay that in kind. Make sure you, you know, you get out to the games and cheer and so on. If Ohio State is your team, get with the program. Yeah, I, I mean, it's yeah, it, you're, you're right in saying that is pretty much the one time uh, that the shot is kind of terrible. I've, I think I went to a Northwestern game a couple seasons ago. Uh, the shot and oh goodness gracious that is yeah it's, <laughs> it's like the it's like the morgue from men in black kind of you're just yep. it's dimly lit it's really kind of just you know just not not a place you want to be there's aliens popping out of people's heads you know it's, it's good stuff mm-hmm. um all right <laughs> let's talk a little bit ryan day uh met with the media he talked we dan hope kind of he had some video we got some quotes from him there is football going in the background of all of this. And one of the things obviously we're going to be talking about is, um, you know, the spring game and, and what that looks like going uh, into kind of the, the off season here into the summer. Uh, Ryan Day talked about how the, the defense is, uh, you know, kind of being solid. It, it, it still needs to kind of work on their fundamentals. He said that the offense have been explosive, but maybe needs more consistency. These are all things that you would expect. Obviously, you have kind of a, a new system kind of being installed. You've got new coaches. You've got new personnel. You've got new uh, just ways of doing things in general. One of the things that I thought was was cool is that Brandon uh, Bowen is back. He's, he's you know, he's, he's getting there on the offensive line. It's, it's a huge, huge veteran presence. I think that's going to be really, really needed. And I know the dude's been, you know, like chomping at the bit to get back on the field. Um, I'm really excited for that guy. Um, he, he's still playing. A little coy with quarterback <laughs> says that the you know we'll see if they'll like the quote was literally we'll see if uh, Ohio State names a starting quarterback or a front runner at the end of spring. I don't know necessarily why you need to do that right now. I mean, you can just go ahead and announce it, but um, you know, it, general general spring stuff. You got to worry a little about the injuries to Cameron Babb and Justin Hilliard, but otherwise, it, it looks like things are going pretty smoothly for the first year uh, head coach. I like the poll question at uh, 11warriors.com, one of my favorite websites on the internet. You know, how how, uh, how are you feeling about Ryan Day as a recruiter in your your early? Uh, and the, the interesting thing was, you know, 28% of readers said they were very impressed. 1% said better than Urban Meyer, which I say, okay, <laughs> too, too soon to tell my friends. Um, you know, 65% said happy so far, which is, which I think is the right answer for just about everything Ryan Day related is happy right. so far, you know, happy so far. If you put very impressed, I'm okay with that because I too am very impressed. I, I don't follow recruiting closely enough to have an opinion about the, the relative, uh, recruiting value of one coach versus the other. Urban Meyer is pretty darn good at it. Um, but yeah, happy so far with everything he's done. I chuckle like you at the, uh, you know, we'll see about the quarterback thing, but, um, I'm, I'm mostly excited about you, you alluded to Bowen. Uh, I'm excited too to see, you know, Josh Myers, who's apparently going to hold down the, the center of the line. That O line is, is where I'm most intrigued to see what this team's going to look like this year. Cause I feel pretty comfortable that Dale do his thing. He's proven that he's a quarterback whisperer. So whoever he trots out there is going to be great. Um, and likewise, I think Heartline, even, even with some of the, um, you know, the, the fact that you've got guys that are going to be going into the draft here in a, in a few short weeks um, and going on to the league who are, you know, keep, pieces of the zone six, I guess, if we're still going to use that moniker. Um, <laughs> Heartline's going to, going to do his thing. I really want to see how this line comes together. The Bowen story, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's able to be a happy one because, man, that guy went through a tough 
Yes, he did. Uh, man, that just I I always hate to see, you know, any injuries, but his in particular is really tough and and for a guy that it's easy to root for, um, you know, I want to see him back to be able to playing at a high level cuz sure sure shooting he was going to be uh, you know, a great one just based on his early uh, snaps and if he's back and able to perform at that level, it's all to the good because the this is an offensive line driven program, as Urban Meyer said more than once. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. I mean, that's not just the fact that it's an offensive line driven program, but when you bring in a guy like Justin Fields, you need to have you need to have a secure offensive line to keep that dude upright. And again, he's he's not Dwayne Haskins, right? Dwayne no, Haskins no. is, you know. Chris, Chris always, you know, called him like he's he's C three PO out there running, yes, right? Like he's right. kind of like shuffling through the desert, and you know, it's he's not a particularly mobile human being, which is fine when you can wing it like eighty yards, you know, yep. through the air. Um, but Justin Fields isn't that dude. Justin Fields is a much more mobile guy. He's, he's very, very uh, elusive. I don't think he's necessarily the kind of runner that you would see from a Braxton Miller, but. Uh, he's, he's just definitely adding another element, uh, that Ohio state maybe didn't really have. However, you got to make sure that he stays clean. And that's, that's the biggest thing is that, you know, as a Bengals fan, (laughs) you know, I, I watch a quarterback that I think has some pretty innate talents and, and just cannot, cannot get any of that done sometimes because the offensive line lets him down. And we've seen that in the big 10, right? Like, I don't think Hackenberg is the greatest quarterback in the history of the universe, but I also know that he got annihilated on a regular basis while he was at Penn State. Trace McSorley. Yeah. I mean, the, you you see players a lot of times, especially at, you know, B-plus tier programs, are like, wow, this is a really good quarterback if he could avoid being on his back, you know, 10 times a game. So you really got to make sure you shore up that offensive line and Justin Fields doesn't walk into a buzzsaw in the Big Ten because, look, I mean, you've got a situation where, I think a lot of teams in the Big Ten are looking at this opportunity to they're salivating at the idea that they can knock Ohio State down a peg. Like to them, to to Jim Harbaugh, to say nothing about everybody else, right? James Franklin and everybody else who's like chomping at the bit to really just, you know, go after Ohio State and kind of dominate the Big Ten. This is Jim Harbaugh's job. Like you've got to be able to take Ohio State out if you don't have Urban Meyer hanging over your head. So there's just a lot of things that Ohio State has to prove themselves. I think it starts at the lines. You've got to make sure that the offensive-defensive lines are dominant and really good because that's going to by itself win you a lot of games. And if you don't have that, then you really got to rely on the athleticism of your quarterback, and and that opens up the injury, and and those start to cascade a lot of problems. So, yeah, I I am particularly like you. I am particularly interested in the offensive line. And, um, you know, just finding leadership on the team. I think that's another big part of it. When you lose a lot of guys, a lot of, you know, really productive guys, vocal guys to the draft and and graduation and things like that, um, you got to make sure that there's somebody there who can really just step up and be a leader. And that's we've seen that actually be a problem, I think, in years past where you've got so much talent on the team, but not necessarily somebody steering the ship. So um, that'll be an interesting thing to see how that develops especially over the the course of the spring and summer i think because you know i don't i'm not a huge fan of like having 15 dudes as captains i don't know how you feel about that but i kind of like the idea that maybe you only have like two or three who kind of represent the leadership of the team but you know it'll be remains to be seen how uh, ryan day decides to handle that there are some of those little things that 
you know, Urban Meyer did that. I was like, okay, that's a quirky thing that I just kind of <laughs> roll. Fine. I just kind of roll my eyes at and, and moved on. I'm I'm with you. Like you know, anything with two heads is a monster, and any team with seven captains doesn't really have one. Right. Kind of kind kind of deal. The thing I you you hit the nail on the head though. This is there are a lot of people. Uh, in the Big Ten, who look and say, "Here's my chance. You know, here, here, here is my chance to, you know, slay the giant, get, get, get over the hump, whatever cliche you want to throw in here." Because when you think about it, this really is um, the, the the least proven head coach, Ohio State uh, first year head coach that Ohio State has had in what I mean. A long, long time because you think about his his immediate predecessor. So, so Urban Meyer was one hundred percent a known quantity, right? Um, when he came in, okay, we won't count Luke Fickle since he was was he he was technically an interim for the duration of the twenty well, and he eleven rust into a campaign. That, so we're going to yeah. give him we're going we're we're going to skip that. Jim Tressel had national titles um, to his credit already, even if even if they weren't at the FBS level, he he was right. a proven commodity as a head coach. Um, uh, John Cooper had just won the Rose bowl, I think, uh, within two seasons prior to being yep. hired at Ohio state. So, yep. Pretty good. And pretty good in my book. Uh, and, and so on. And so, so you're going back, you know, the Earl, Earl was at Iowa state prior to coming to Ohio state and had been there for what, five seasons, I think. So, mm-hmm. you know, this day really now he's established his bona fides in my book, but based on what he did is offensive coordinator and, and quarterback whisperer at Ohio state. But yeah, this is one where I, if you're a head coach elsewhere in the big 10, you're looking and saying, okay, <laughs> you're yeah. kind of licking your chops at an opportunity. Now I still think it's probably going to be LOL uh, in the, you know, when, when Ohio state rolls onto the field this fall, I don't have any reason to suspect that the program is going to take any kind of step back. Um, but days certainly, you know, this is where he's got to establish himself as the new bull in the in the paddock right and and that's and that's really about developing an attitude in the program I mean when when Urban Meyer came to Ohio State you know exactly what an Urban Meyer team is going to look like you know the kind of you know he's gonna he's gonna throw the rings on the table and he's gonna do what Urban Meyer does and that's 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 both I think a cool thing to have because it's it's a brand it's it's something that you can kind of rely on and it's also kind of predictable which isn't a bad thing necessarily because you know what you're going to get and you it's successful right like he was incredibly successful and and did all the things that you you know won you won national champion you know won a national championship and won big 10 titles and all that good stuff uh but for ryan day he's going to kind of establish his own brand and, and what a ryan day team looks like and it you know one of the cool things about Ohio State coaches, at least recently, and with the exception, I guess, of, of Luke Fickle. But, you know, each of these teams had a very distinctive attitude, you know, philosophy, I guess you could say. I mean, a, a Jim Trestle team looked nothing like an Urban Meyer team, and Urban Meyer team looked nothing like a John Cooper team, and so on. Like, these are very distinctive teams because they had very distinctive, you know, coaches that had a really like a determined philosophy that they developed over years, right? Ryan Day doesn't necessarily have the benefit of that. So I think he needs to develop that quickly so that people really know what Ohio State football looks like. Uh, last question. I want to ask you one last question before we move on to ask us anything. What is one thing? I'll, I'll, there are all these things that made Urban Meyer successful at Ohio State. We love that and everything went great. What is one thing that you will be happy like either in terms of like – traditional stuff that he did like things that he did on a regular basis 
or things that the program did that kind of irked you a little bit? Is there anything that you will be happy to maybe see gone? Uh, quick cows? No. Yes. <laughs> I I never I never got that one. I guess um, I'm I'm a schmuck for traditions right, and ceremonies and pomp. I mean, all those. Ca- I, who knows? I don't. You get, you get rid of that one. And that that wouldn't break my heart. Uh, um, I was just hoping you'd say that because that's literally my answer. I don't. I kind of hate the wick cows <laughs> so much. I hope they. I hope they just burn in hell and we never see him again it's the dumbest thing i think that was Um, one of those things that like if i was putting myself in the role of head coach seemed like a really good idea (laughs) in the room and then when you got out on the field you were like oh yeah that didn't at all come off the way i thought it would (laughs) (laughs) it's not nearly as badass as i thought yeah i thought this was going to be really cool and intimidating and inclusive (sighs) of the fans and oh no it's just kind of schlocky Good Lord, I hope they, I hope, I hope beyond hope that they stop doing quick house. It's the only thing. Look, there are other things where I'm like, okay, well, I, I want, I want like, for instance, uh, media availability to look a little bit different. I want Ryan Day to be more accessible and actually care about that kind of stuff. Like his radio yes. show. Like I like the idea. I love the idea actually of college football coaches having these radio shows that they prepare for and actually do in-depth analysis on things. I think that's fascinating. I think it's really cool that, you know, you have coaches that do that, and Irv Meyer had zero interest in any of that. Right. Um, but yeah, man. Well, I mean, it, go it, back to what I mean. Woody Hayes is drawing plays up on the chalkboard. Yeah, I love that TV That's show incredible. back in the day. I mean, yeah, that I, I'm 100 with you on on that. And of course, I know you'll have some folks that will say, "Well, you're, you know, members of the media. Of course, you want more access." Snicker, well, sure. snicker, snicker. And and yeah, sure, that might sound self serving, but you know that it, it matters to you as fans as well uh to to you know does how much does the coach care about um you know interacting with the audience so to speak with the fan base i, th- I right. think that i think that matters and i think that has value and there again we go back to what are some of the things we like about chris holton that he seems to care about those things and and makes right. a good makes a good faith effort at it. i i feel like maybe day will will be more will shade more that way than urban did urban didn't have to right because he was exactly he was already he the big right. man on campus when he walked in right um, and he felt he was above that and guess yeah. what he was above that and he was and he was you bet, you bet. I, but, I think uh I, so i think that's a that's a big one and maybe just it's your comment about the attitude and the identity of the program is is really important and what i find interesting is who's more important, the coach or the program? And and you you said it. the The identity of the team under Jim Tressel was very different than it was under John Cooper. Was very different than it was under Urban Meyer. Um, and yet, and yet, each of those men was extremely successful right. as head football coach at Ohio State. So, right. which is more important, the coach? or the program, it's a little of both. And this is one of those, you know, right. Uh, one of those kind of philosophical questions. What's the sound of one hand clapping, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I think, <laughs> I think how much does day's offense look like urban Myers? Does it look like, um, does it look like chip Kelly's, you know, did we see Ryan day's offense the last two years or are there changes and wrinkles to come? Does the team get a defensive identity again. Like I'm ready to see the return of the silver bullets instead right. of whatever wet paper bag that was last go around. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm eager for some of those kind of things to, to, to come to fruition too. Yeah. Same. 
All right. Well, guys, we'll uh, we'll transition here to ask us anything in a second. But please do not forget to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify now. So if you're a big fan of the Spotify podcast, definitely check us out there. Uh, but let's do a little ask us anything. You guys can ask us anything. Continue to send those amazing questions to us to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11 dubcast we're gonna we're gonna start here with uh with david becker david becker uh has a little bit of a question about the transfer portal he says i'm come i'm uncomfortable with reporting uh concerning activity uh in the transfer portal i feel like a kid has his or her hand forced once it's reported that they are in the portal you don't want to be the player that looks around and decides to stay because then it looks like there was no interest should the porter portal be kept confidential similar to how to some schools use hipaa as a way not to discuss injuries yeah i mean in theory in theory the portal is confidential right i mean it's not like you or i as members of the press could go and apply for access to to so we find out about the portal because somebody leaks that information right yeah so uh, yeah i i mean i agree with i agree with the poster that it it does make me a little uncomfortable like if i was a player now the flip side of that is you know you have in theory you have a couple different kinds of players who are in the portal you have the one who's already sort of mentally checked out of the program um and is is either unhappy it's not the school's not a good fit that you know that they're not clicking with the staff you know whatever whatever it happens to be but maybe they have some you know they've already decided this isn't the right place for me uh and so i'm going to go somewhere else regardless then you have the ones who are hey i'm not getting the starting and i think the one that's what we're focusing on hey i'm not getting starting time as quickly as i thought or right you know, grass is greener on the other side, you know, now that we're just basically one step away from true free agency and, and college sports, uh, you know, yeah, that I get where you're coming from with that. And the, the flip side of it is, I don't know what you do about it because in theory, it's supposed to be confidential now. Right. Yeah. I, this is a really interesting question. And I'm actually really glad that David asked this because I'm, I'm kind of of two minds on this. I, I think it's difficult because, it, you know, when you've got a big name player, right? When you've got somebody who can make or break a program, you got a guy like Justin Fields, for example. I mean, that's that's newsworthy. And if information comes out that he's in the transfer portal and, and people become aware of that, then that would be something any news site would report on any sports news site. Uh, on the other hand, if there's a situation that's delicate and a player, you know, maybe there's there's some kind of like contentious thing going on with the the school and and maybe it's something that the player wants to keep private. That's a difficult thing. Like that's that's hard for somebody to be able to make that call. I think, you know, the mercenary nature of college sports, especially like football and, and big time college sports, is that you're going to also have to deal, I think, with the media exposure a little bit. And unfortunately, here's what I would say. Unfortunately, I think that's part of the territory. I also think that's also a pretty good argument that players need to be better compensated for the kind of stuff that they have to expose themselves to, because you do become a public figure essentially when this happens. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's a tough call because I I totally understand the, the perspective of like, look, these, these players are not out here trying to announce to the world that they're transferring. Um, but when you give them this kind of instrument and people are going to talk about it, it's, it's unfortunately going to leak. And like I said, if you're a big enough player, any responsible, you know, news sites going to, they're going to report it. They're going to talk about it. 
So and that's, you, and that you is have, a really fascinating question. I'm curious. I, I would really be curious about how people feel about that. I mean, if you were, you know, if you're an Ohio State fan, and let's say Ezekiel Elliott in 2015 is like, man, I don't know about, or 2014, after 2014, for whatever reason, decides he wants to transfer. And that we got information about him wanting to transfer because his name pops up the transfer portal. Well, then we're going to report on that. And I think people would be upset if we didn't report on that. So I don't know. I, I, I just, that's an excellent question. And I, I'm not exactly sure where I stand on that. And you, and you've, you've got two different issues here, right? So how do I feel about it as a person versus what do I expect members of the press and, and right. um, you know, sports journalists to do? I absolutely expect sports journalists to report on it. And, and you yeah, hit the nail on the head. And it doesn't, yeah, it's, that's, that's your job at 100%. If, uh, if there's news out there that, hey, Justin Fields is thinking about transferring to Ohio State from Georgia, you bet every Georgia and Ohio State site worth its salt should be reporting that information. Absolutely. Absolutely. And at the same time, I think, but I think you're right that the the reason we feel kind of weird about this is that we're still holding on to this illusion of amateurism in yes. college football. Uh, and, and so I'll admit my biases and priors that I love the concept of amateurism. And at the same time, I'm eager for us to kill it with a shovel just so that I can, um, stop seeing a plethora of asinine tweets about how <laughs> the coaches in the final four got bonuses for making the final four and the players all got $0. Like, yep, I get it. It's an unjust system, blah, 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 move on. And, yeah. and so I'm, and this, but this is part of that too. And the reason that I feel weird about it is because they're student athletes, LOL. And if they were, you know, semi-pro or minor league or whatever the next phase variation evolution of college football looks like or becomes, then we would feel infinitely less bad talking about trade rumors than we do about students transferring to right. a new university. Right. And it's weird because, you know, college sports does sit at this really weird intersection of essentially being, you know, like a minor league, you know, funnel up towards the pro leagues. Right. But we like you said, we still have this idea of them as, as you know, college you know, like student athletes. And it's, yeah. it, it's just it's a weird thing to try to reconcile. That was an excellent question. And excellent I don't question. know that that's something that we can really resolve right now because nope. there is so much to it. And I, I think, you know what's going to happen is there's going to be more and more reporting as it goes along and people are going to shift their opinions on it. I, I like, this is such a new thing that I think it's, it's still kind of in its infancy, how we're going to yes. deal with reporting on it and things like that. Uh, great question. Uh, next one here. This is from Alvin. He wants to know uh, whatever happened to the mega conference conversation. Does it still make sense? I, I used to spend a lot of time, thinking about this and pondering this. And, and, you know, I think, um, <laughs> this probably sounds silly. I think Jim Delaney retiring, maybe, maybe makes it less likely that there's a move to super conferences. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I felt like if there was somebody who was going to get it done, it was, you know, Darth Delaney at uh, big 10 HQ. He was going to somehow figure out how to get us to 20 and, you know, finally kill, uh, the big 12 or the pac 12, one or the other. And, uh, but, but maybe that's not going to happen now. I think you have enough people who have said, gee, golly, why did we add Rutgers in Maryland? That seemed like a terror. It seems like a terrible idea in, in retrospect that, you know, who, who else out there do you want? And does it make sense to add some more Rutgers and Maryland type programs just to get to 
20 um, in your conferences. I, the only reason that I think we really want to see a move to four super conferences is because it fits a four team playoff better than having five power conferences and one team getting left out every year so if you expand the playoff field from four to six or eight then does it change the calculus of needing to move to super conferences and ultimately it probably comes back down to what do fox and espn and or cbs want to pay these conferences for television rights Right. There's a market for a bigger conference, then it'll happen. If there isn't, then it won't. Yeah, I, I mean, I think here's what I think. I, one of the things that will determine a lot of this, I agree with you, is the way TV kind of buys play out. I actually think it's becoming less likely because of the granular nature of how television is being consumed yes. and broadcast things are being consumed. And you know, there are a lot of teams or a lot of, a lot of, I mean, we say teams, there are a lot of sports programs that I don't believe will want to share revenue uh, with huge mega conferences anymore because of things like streaming and whatnot. We've talked about this extensively on the dubcast. Um, I, I think you'll actually see it become less and less like that because uh, it's just not something that will be advantageous for a mega school like Ohio State or Texas or you know, Alabama to really invest. in. I, I think they'll want to rather have like more of the pie and have kind of a smaller conference that they don't have to share as much with, you know, if, if look, if, in an ideal world, we could kick, you know, Rutgers out of the big 10 and not have to worry about that piece of the, you know, the revenue sharing being sent to, you know, Piscataway and, and, and into a black hole. Like that's just, so I just, you know, to me, I think the era is kind of dead uh, in part because of the way that we're consuming sports today. But I don't know. I could be proven wrong. We could see what happens in the future um, and, and how it kind of plays out because it's it's going to be, like I said, you know, it's, it's going to be really, really crazy to see what all of this looks like in the in the near future. It's, it's going to be really, really wild. And, and um, let's be honest, football is the only reason we're talking about super conferences anyway. Right? Like beyond the sport of football, there's absolutely no reason, benefit or sense uh, rationale for having anything different from the conference structure that's in place now. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And if that, you know, that that part of the equation changes or anything like that, then you're you're gonna see a lot of different perspectives. Uh last one, I will just I'll just say this. Uh Ryan Day is uh is Gengar. How about that? Ryan Day's Gengar. I, I hope I hope that satisfies Nick Nick Jervy. <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. What'd you say? Wait, what? <laughs> I said, works for me. <laughs> All right, works for you. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Well, because you're you're a Pokemon aficionado. See, for well, those well, who are I, not aware, I don't know if I've crossed Nicholas the Jervy Rubicon really of aficionado yet. Yeah, Poke- So our good friend Nicholas Jervy, former writer uh, for Eleven Wars, really wanted us to get into a Pokemon conversation. We're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna do that. <laughs> uh, but uh, Andy here has become a, a huge fan of uh, the Japanese anime. Uh, and and game show and game and video game Pokemon. So we'll have to hit you up in the future for more uh, for more insight into that particular uh, gaming world. I guess. Do you, know, do you know what we were doing before I came in to record the dubcast with you? <laughs> I don't know what you were doing. What were you doing? <laughs> the the little tyke and I were watching Pokemon. It's true. Hell yeah! There we go. <laughs> God, right, bless, good. God bless. God bless Apple TV. Like, Nine hundred episodes got, to catch up on. Twenty right. seasons at fifty episodes a season, something Let's like go. that. 
Oh man, I'm really excited to see you in like a Pikachu shirt and like you know, custom Pikachu and like Nikes and stuff next time we have an 11 Warriors meetup. Um, Andy, thank you so much for coming and filling in. You did an incredible job. We'll obviously have to have you back, and uh, it's been great talking to you, man. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, and that's the 11 Dubcast, and we'll see you cats next week. <laughs>